Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gorn. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Wildfire and hailstorms. Here are your harvest updates in California and Valpolicella. Sales of travel drinks are down 60%. Pernod Ricard profits fall 77%. But UK wine drinkers are trading up. UK distributor FMV likely to fold. Harvest in Bordeaux begins. New AVAs in the USA. Alisos Canyon in Santa Barbara County and Royal Slope in Washington State. And as ever, our wine of the week. And so we begin with our week in wine, um, but it's actually two weeks since we've last recorded. Um, We had a few technical difficulties last week getting our stuff together uh, as Matthew kicking off his uh, first shipments for his wine club. So he was busy packing boxes and, you know, with the fires around, we were trying to find some clean air and didn't have our recording equipment with us. But here we are now. So we've got an action-packed episode of Wind Up Weekly with a lot of news to cover. And of course, we've been up to our own um, wine tasting adventures. And one particular highlight was um, a webinar with Jane Anson. We got to try um, some pretty fancy wine, didn't we? Very fancy. And there was an Inglenook, two vintages of the Inglenook, 2013 and 17, uh, Laventure and Verite. So... Really interesting to hear uh, Elaine Chacon Brown and Jane Anson discuss sort of, you know, what's going on in Bordeaux, what's going on in Napa Valley, and trading kind of the similarities of winemaking techniques and just crossover. It was really interesting hearing Jane talk about some of the winemakers at very prestigious uh, Bordeaux estates actually getting their start in California. They they started wine make, their winemaking careers in, in Bordeaux, but went to California to really make their names and then came back to Bordeaux, where now they had some, as I said, very prestigious estates. And it's a familiar story. I, I meet and encounter a lot of young winemakers who have learned their craft to the other side of the world and then gone back home to kind of bring different techniques and different philosophies to traditional areas. Just to give some context, Jane Anson is a Bordeaux expert. She writes for Decanter and has just published Inside Bordeaux, which is a, a big and a comprehensive volume on Bordeaux, which I highly recommend if you want to learn about that region great maps as well. It's super comprehensive and it's a very long book, but I think everything in there has to be in there. So it's, uh, you know, they call her the Bordeaux insider and I I can see why. And the wines she chose were quite interesting. Um, Inglenook, a very um, historic producer in Napa Valley. Uh, Laventure, a newer producer from uh, Paso Robles. And Verite, which is owned by Kendall Jackson. Jackson family. That's what they also like to be called. Uh, but very high end in Sonoma County, um, high elevation and very expensive. So these were three very expensive wines that Jane chose. And that's because they're on the, the La Place de Bordeaux, which has changed greatly in the last few years because it now includes uh, California and New World producers and not just Bordeaux producers to try and uh, to, to help sell these um, highly sought after wines. There are some Australian wines on there as well, right? On, on La Place? Indeed, a couple just joined recently. I think Jim Barry, the Armar, and um, was Henschke the other one? But um, again, very high um, quality wines and showing that the New World can produce wines just as good, expensive and um, collectible as Bordeaux. Now on with the news. (laughs) 
So as we mentioned in our week in wine, the smell of smoke persisted uh, here in California until late last week, even though fires started two and a half weeks ago. The question is, of course, what effect these fires will have on the 2020 vintage, given they have occurred right in the middle of the growing season. Although wineries in Santa Cruz had to be evacuated and Nicolini in eastern Napa Valley suffered damage, the fires have not in general affected wineries directly. However, smoke taint remains a key concern. Noah Dorrance of Reeve Wines in Healdsburg speculated that his winery would not be able to make wine this year, stating that the grapes already smell and taste of smoke even before full ripeness. His particular problem is that he buys fruit from across the county, which makes it hard to control and monitor the health of the grapes. Yes, I was talking to a sales rep uh, this week who lives in Yontville, very close to where the fires were in 2017 and again here in 2020. She just said there's a huge plume of smoke just rising up behind her house. But that actually, the smoke uh, blew in the right direction, as it were, away from Napa Valley and away from the vineyards. So hopefully they actually haven't been affected that badly. Yeah, I think a lot of journalists around the world and a lot of news stories have come out with a lot of speculation about the effect of smoke taint. But I think it's all largely unfounded currently. I mean, we don't have, you know, the stats and the the particulars to really make any uh, generalizations about the 2020 vintage. And as you say, I think in many cases, uh, producers have been able to protect the grapes and kind of and escape the risk of, of smoke taint. So it'll be interesting to see how everything unfolds over the next couple of months once these grapes are in tank and fermenting and, and see what happens. Overall, though, I think that producers are staying positive, and everyone seems pretty excited about the quality of the grapes of the 2020 vintage. So, again, will be very interesting to see. Meanwhile, in Valpolicella in northeast Italy, the region was hit by hail, which has caused an estimated 6 million euros of damage. The hail was localised, as it often is, hitting 400 hectares of the 8,000 hectares in the large region. But those vineyards that the hail hit were greatly damaged, with crop loss of 70% and more. In fact, the hail was centred on the city of Verona, which received the brunt of the damage, saving vineyards. So poor Verona, but good for the vineyards. Overall, production of Alpolicella is due to be down by 7 to 8%, and producers are worried about the effect of further bad weather. Drinks analysis firm the IWSR predicted in the last couple of weeks that sales of drinks in travel outlets such as airports, planes and ferries would be down globally by 60% in 2020. Not surprising news given the decline in travel due to COVID-19. They also predicted that sales would not return to 2019 figures to, until at least 2023. Perno Ricard also reported that sales from February to June were down 50%. To put this into perspective, following the 2008 crash, equivalent sales fell by 8%, so a big difference. The IWSR forecasts that global giants such as Pernod Ricard would be best positioned to ride out the crisis, but nevertheless it would take years to make a full recovery. However, Pernod Ricard remained bullish, seeing this as an opportunity to innovate. Craig Johnson of Pernod Ricard stated that, We have taken this as an opportunity to collectively reimagine the future of retail. For example, by bringing in click-and-collect purchasing options while still producing exclusive products for international travellers. Well, I can relate with Pernod Ricard. Uh, I think most businesses have had to pivot, as they say, uh, in this period of the pandemic. And, you know, in our own business with, um, you know, we do a lot of wine events and we've had to take those all online. So 
I mean, I guess it's a, a good idea to try to stay positive during all this because it seems like we're not going to return to normal anytime soon. Yeah, so he mentioned the innovations like click and collect. I mean, what innovations do we expect to see? I remember last year being in Newark Airport um, in, in New York, or it's in New Jersey, isn't it? Newark Airport. But when I was on a trip to New York and everything you ordered was by iPad. So you just sat at a table or a seat and you could order from anywhere in the airport through the iPad. And in fact, the servers wouldn't even speak to you. I tried to place an order with the with the bartender and he refused to even speak to me. He just pointed at the iPad in front of me. It was quite inhospitable in my opinion. I had a similar experience where I ordered the beer and then just said, well, you have to order it through the iPad. I can't do anything until you do it through the iPad. So she did actually speak to me. And then I did order another drink and I had to point to where it was on the shelf because she couldn't find it. So we're always going to have that personal interaction, I think. Certainly going to change the airport experience, what's happening um, in these times. Continuing on the subject of Pernod Ricard, this week they announced that its net profits to the end of year in June fell by 77%, while organic profits fell by 13.7%. However, these figures were better than expected. The company had predicted a fall of 15% for organic profits, and the share price rose by 2.5% in Paris. This rise came despite the dramatic decrease in profits, causing the company to cut its dividends and devalue its assets by 1 billion euros, mostly related to the absolute vodka brand. To continue all this mixed news, Nielsen this week reported that UK wine drinkers had been trading up, finally and are continuing to do so as the lockdown has eased. Growth in wine sales was up 26%, with rosé the biggest growing category with sales up by 39%. There was an increase in consumers buying wine in the £5 to £9 category, and a decrease in the sub-£5 category. The increase in sales above £9 was much slower, however, at just 1%. And the average price of a bottle of wine in the UK is expected to rise above £6 for the first time this year. Well, it seems little by little, but at least they are trading up. I remember when I was living in the UK, I mean, spending over five pounds seemed like a stretch, but now it seems if they're getting into that five to nine pound category, then that is an improvement. And it seems overall drinks businesses are beginning to stabilize as on trade reopens, though off trade figures are not rising as quickly as they were and sales of spirits continue to rise too, which is good for companies like Pernod Ricard. But it's wine, beer, and cider which have benefited in the UK, which is a good thing. Yes, yeah, so it seems that people's drinking habits are changing, and it'll remain to be seen whether they um, go back to how they were before or change or, or continue to change, and if people continue to drink at home or go out. I know in the UK there's been a big push to get people eating and, and di- dining and drinking in restaurants instead of at home, and it seems to have been quite successful. So maybe we'll regain that balance between on-trade and off-trade in the, in the UK but certainly the way that people drink is going to be different. And I know all these facts and figures are a little bit all over the place and difficult to follow, but that's sort of the world we're living in right now. So it will be interesting to see once you know the pandemic is behind us, uh, what sort of trends we, we start to see and what will continue and what will fade away. <laughs> Fields, Morris & Verdon, the distributory arm of Berry Brothers & Rudd in the UK, looks set to fold as its laid-off staff and many of its prestigious producers have appeared in the books of rival firms. 
FMV is one of the most prestigious distributors in the UK. Its connection to Berry Brothers in Rudd, the oldest wine shop in London, as well as the incorporation of MW Jasper Morris's company several years ago, has made it home to some of the finest wines in the world, which it distributes across the UK. It was announced in June that in light of COVID-19 and the radical effect on the hospitality industry, that Berry Brothers was considering the setup of FMV, announcing that we are reviewing the size of the producer portfolio which we represent, how much stock we are able to hold to supply the trade, and the people structures needed to efficiently run our trade operations in this changed landscape. It now seems that they have laid off all staff and several producers now have new distributors. Rafael Palacios and South Africa's Moulinou are now with Liberty Wines, Champagne Jackson with Berkman Cellars, and Dog Point with Bancroft Wine. Bebendum has also taken on several of FMV's former producers, including port producer Quinta de la Rosa and New Zealand's Newdorf. It's pretty incredible that such a large and well-respected distributor is just going to fold like this. But I was talking to someone who used to work for FMV um, in February, and he left last year because he felt that structurally the company was going backwards and a lot of people were being laid off and there's just a concentration in the kind of high-profile jobs and no real long-term strategy, and it seems like that's, that this is coming home to roost for them. Yes, so perhaps there were more fundamental structural issues uh, preceding uh, COVID, and that was sort of the icing on the cake to to make them decide to fold. We have received a couple of updates on the Bordeaux harvest over the last couple of weeks from Gavin Quinney, an Englishman with whom we have many mutual acquaintances, and who owns and runs Chateau Bauduc. I actually visited him at the Chateau. Uh, gosh, that was probably seven years ago now. Wow, how time flies. And Gavin reports that he had already expected an early harvest, and now the grapes have been coming in with Sauvignon Blanc the first to be harvested, and next up will be the black grapes for rosé production. He's confident about quality, although he's more certain about the whites and the rosé, as there's still time for the harvest for the black grapes to go wrong, as always. He says 2020 looks like 2018, and that it's quite a typical Bordeaux harvest. Spring rain, dry summer, with just enough rain in August to keep the vines functioning and keep quality high. However, he complains that the Bordeaux authorities have limited yields by 10% due to the economic environment, a commercial decision rather than a wine decision. But this is Bordeaux. Yeah, Gavin is great with his on-the-ground uh, commentary uh, that we don't normally get from the traditional chateaus in Bordeaux. Uh, he's very vocal on Twitter, so if you want to follow him at, uh, I think it's at Chateau Bauduc, uh, you can kind of follow the play-by-play of what's going on with Harvest and also during the uh, growing season, and then commenting on just kind of the, the business of wine as well, what's going on in Bordeaux. So it was interesting having his commentary and then Jane hearing Jane Anson speak, you know, just really getting insight into this wine region. Santa Barbara County has a seventh AVA, Alisos Canyon, approved this week. It lies between Santa Ynez and Santa Maria Valley and covers over 2,300 hectares of land. It's at the end of the San Antonio Creek Channel, which has a strong influence from the Pacific Ocean with cooling fogs and breezes, which makes it one of the coolest areas of Santa Barbara. The soils are shale, sand, flint, and limestone with elevation as high as 400 meters. 
Grape varieties planted concentrate on Rhone grapes, such as Grenache, Syrah, and Grenache Blanc. In fact, the writer of the successful petition, winemaker Wes Hagen, noted that the region, quote, falls perfectly within the Goldilocks Rhone zone, stressing its suitability for Rhone varieties. Meanwhile, Washington also has a new AVA called Royal Slope. Located within Columbia Valley south of Ancient Lakes AVA and north of Waluke Slope AVA, 63,000 hectares in size, it includes Frenchman Hills, a 20 kilometres long east-west ridge with south-facing slopes and loose soils. Despite its large size, less than 800 hectares are actually planted to vines at an average elevation of 400 metres. Elevation, slopes, northerly latitude and various soils all give Royal Slope its unique qualities. And now for our wine of the week, Katie, which is another one that's easy to pronounce. And what is it? Domaine des Ardoisiers, Cuvée Argile, 2018. And this is from Savoie, which is a region we both love, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Alpine whites. Mm, can't get much better than that. And who doesn't like a good mandus? Exactly. So it's not just alpine whites, but alpine reds as well. But this one's a white. Uh, Savoie is a region that's becoming increasingly, increasingly fashionable. Although it was long overlooked outside France and generally drunk locally by skiers. It's in the French Alps, and the cool climate that comes with elevation heavily influences the styles of wine. And so our wine of the week comes from the foothills of Mont Blanc, the highest mountain in Europe. So as we mentioned, the producer is Domaine des Ardoisières, established in the late 1990s by uh, Michel Grisard, who planted local varieties on steep slopes of up to 60% gradient. And then in 2005, Champagne native Brice Ormond became winemaker, taking over the property five years later. And in this time, the winery has established itself as one of the leading producers in Savoie. It's biodynamic, and it's one of the reasons why people are increasingly excited about the region. So this particular wine is from clay soils, hence the name, Cuvée Argile, and is a blend of 40% Chardonnay, 40% Jacquère, and 20% Mandouze Blanche. The latter two are indigenous varieties, both naturally high in acidity. And alcohol is just 11.5%, so this is a fairly light-bodied, acidic wine, which still has so much going on with a very waxy character and mineral texture, dare I say mineral. And this is the perfect combination of low alcohol and tons of flavor. So great on its own, but also ideal with lots of different foods. Uh, Probably a rich, soft cheese is what we're thinking. And if you want to learn more about the wines of Savoie, um, I'd recommend, uh, there's a great book out there by uh, Wink Lork, who wrote about the wines of Jura. Uh, she's now just published a book about the wines of the Swiss Alps. And she'll actually be joining Elaine Brown again uh, for a California Wine Institute webinar on September 15th. Uh, so that's a Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, and they'll be talking about California wines, but also the wines of Savoie and Jura. So should be interesting. I think that should be a fascinating conversation because on the face of it, two very different regions, California and Jura Savoie, but actually uh, some of these grapes are being planted in California and making some very fun stuff. So I think there's a lot to talk about the differences and the similarities. Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gone. Join us next week for another Wind Up. And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us. Especially if the reviews are positive. That's right. See you next week. 
Cheerio!